Part two, four leadership responses to COVID-19. Through this project, we have identified four styles of leadership that were fairly common before COVID-19 struck and have been significantly challenged as a result of the lockdown. Whilst we have differentiated between these different styles, we recognise that many of us share a number of the characteristics described in the four write-ups. We capture them separately because this seems to be the best way of drawing out the key points of learning. We hope that you will pick and mix in determining your own leadership strategy for the future. The first style we'll discuss is physically present leaders becoming blended leaders. Many leaders will know that they have been most powerful in the moments when they are physically present. In these moments, often in the minutes with their closest allies and confidants before and after key meetings, their informal influence has been greatest. These opportunities have given them valuable feedback as well as influence, both of which have been almost entirely eliminated in our new world of nearly non-stop video conferencing. As a result, they feel less able to read the temperature of their organisation and less confident in their instincts about which approach should achieve the best outcome. Jenny Jarvis, Deputy CEO of the Education and Training Foundation, captured this powerfully for us when she explained how important it is to her leadership to be able to read the body language of others in the same room. I have found that we can do some work very well from home. However, what I've really missed is being able to work in person with colleagues to collaborate, strategize, and problem solve. There has been a marked difference between chairing strategic and delivery meetings from the office and chairing them from home, as I have done over the last few months. In the office, I'm able to read the body language and appeal to the room, and we have addressed issues directly as a collective. This led us to the subject of personal connection. One of the issues that we spent some time discussing as a team is whether or not we should expect to achieve a stronger personal connection with others if we are in the same room as them, rather than looking at them on a computer screen. This issue is intensely personal, and inevitably we all have a different experience to share. Andrew Powell, Group CEO of Digital Education and Careers Provider, Route to Work, is a great champion of the importance of time with others in the same physical space. As a passionate people person, I'm craving human-to-human -human interaction on a face-to-face -face basis. Digital provides a fantastic medium for progress to be made across all fronts, but it can be only part of the much wider leadership and business landscape. The most powerful and authentic business relationship that I have are about the personal connection and being with other people in the same physical space, chewing the fat, being present and having some fun. Sarah Walker-Smith used to feel the same and now tells us, To my surprise, I've discovered that online communication has provided the opportunity for leadership which is vulnerable, human and authentic and connects intimately with a wider internal and external audience. Despite my beliefs to the contrary at the start of this journey, I have never felt more connected with so many people over such a range of levels and backgrounds and across such a range of subjects with startling responses. One of the main lessons we take from this project is that before lockdown, nearly all of us significantly underestimated the capacity of digital working for enabling us to achieve a huge amount of what we want to achieve as leaders. Ben Wilson's experience illustrates this point brilliantly. 
As lockdown approached, I feared our teams would fall into chaos and confusion without the ability to coordinate and oversee activities in person. How wrong I was. Working from home has changed the way our leadership and management teams communicate. We are more direct, more mature and more sophisticated. Preparation for meetings is better because presenting online requires more structure and planning. Issues are called out more readily and we are more comfortable with being uncomfortable. I'm a convert. When we were discussing why we share such positive experiences of digital working under lockdown, we came back more than once to a key word, resilience. As Ben Room, CEO of Digital Mobile Spectrum puts it, the crisis highlights that most people are more resilient and adapt to change far better than they would have predicted. There is a real opportunity to use this newfound knowledge to improve self-belief helping organisations go further and get there faster. In this next section, we get practical. Please take time to stop and start the audio as you see fit during this part. It's meant for reflection and to give you an opportunity to stop, to think and to make notes about some of the points raised. First of all, physically present leaders becoming blended leaders. When you're working online, don't try and replicate the style of an in-person meeting. Digital meetings of boards and teams need to be significantly shorter because many of us don't feel able to draw on the energy of others when we're working online in the same way as we're able to do when we're in the same physical space. Build in time for one-to-one -one conversations with close colleagues running up to key meetings in order to test the temperature Wherever you can, leave a few minutes at the end for reflection on how much you all feel you moved forward so that you get used to giving each other regular feedback. If you're asking some of your staff to travel into the office, make sure that you're as open as you can be, explaining your reasons for asking them to come in whilst others continue to work from home. This is a time when the principles of transparency and fairness are more important than ever. Establish clear and non-negotiable protocols for digital meetings. Video always on, no checking of texts or emails, and so on. If you end some days feeling that you have Zoom fatigue, how about challenging yourself to ration the amount of time you spend online? For example, trying to limit the number of hours you're online in any one day. Not all catch-ups have to be online. Have you considered going back to the old normal of sometimes using your phone so at least you can walk around. Make sure that you don't have back-to-back -back meetings online. For meetings that last longer than 30 minutes, always try to finish 15 minutes before the hour rather than on the hour. Give yourself at least a 15-minute break before your next one. The second style we addressed was previous coasters becoming more challenging leaders. Many leaders went into lockdown comfortable in the belief that they were working pretty well. The various blockages in their organisations in the way of them achieving more of what they wanted were just part of inevitable frustrations of leadership. During the early days and weeks of lockdown, quite a number found that teams that had previously refused to collaborate with each other became less resistant to change as new ways of working together had to be created almost overnight. Unexpectedly, the fear factor reduced resistance to change 
and resulted in a greater degree of pulling together between teams and individuals more than ever before. According to Theresa Payne, managing partner of solicitors Parfit Cresswell, even though fear is viewed as a negative emotion, it can create positive results. As a business, we were able to create and implement a change strategy that would normally have taken one to two years or more in less than three months. This is because fear enabled mindsets to shift from the mentality of change blockers and finding reasons why we should be wary of change to mindsets where anything is possible. And if there is a barrier, we will find a solution to overcome it. Through these insights, we came to recognise that before the virus struck, many of us had become rather too comfortable as leaders. We had ended up acting as coasters because we'd got into the habit of giving too much say to the change blockers and letting them get used to exercising a veto over change. In the face of adversity represented by coronavirus, there was no choice but to drive performance with determination and keep on reminding teams that it was not an option to revert back to their old normal. In response, they stepped up, sometimes to everyone's surprise. In the process, so many leaders have resolved that from now on, they will challenge those who like to say no to almost any change. Individuals who like to exercise their veto draw their power from the tendency we can all have to act as coasters, which is why it's so important that more leaders act more as challengers. What a powerful wake-up call this was. So now to get practical again around coasters becoming challenges. Review your ambitions as a business before you went into lockdown. If you had known then what you've learned about the capacity of your people during the last few months, would you have allowed yourself to be more ambitious? Acknowledge and affirm changes in behaviour. Be open and ask why people had to feel their backs against the wall before they were prepared to work with each other and drive change. Make a point of asking your teams how they feel about the success they've achieved. What has been the most satisfying? How would they like to sustain and develop the approach in ways that will establish a stronger sense of shared ambition? Explore with teams what they want from you as a leader. What sort of leader do they need you most to be? According to Sarah Walker-Smith, she has seen her role as CEO transform from responsible bus driver to human flag bearer. How would you capture the change in your role? Onwards now to style three, sprinters becoming marathon runners. The speed of having to respond to lockdown really appealed to those leaders who get an adrenaline fix from leading at a time of crisis. In the days leading into lockdown, they went into something of a sprint as they led their staff forward. Many then continued to sprint after that time and keep on sprinting. No surprise then that within a few weeks, they and many of their staff were showing more than a few signs of exhaustion. After weeks of sprinting, the adrenaline buzz had worn off and quite a number were on their reserve tank, if not completely out of energy. Surrounded by senior colleagues who constantly said how tired and drained they had become, many leaders felt the same, except they were also increasingly lonely. In the words of Theresa Payne, it's so tempting as a leader to sprint, to make sure an opportunity isn't missed, only to find that we have to back up to bring our teams alongside. 
This period in our lives reminds me of the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Spirit leaders can feel guilty acknowledging their addiction to speed. They feel they're meant to pretend that they're taking COVID-19 in their stride, whilst they are actually feeling as traumatised by the pandemic as everyone else. During the process of exhausting themselves, many have learned that they need to take others with them more. They need to be conscious of the dangers of their people feeling bomb-blasted when they're asked to change some of their long-standing practices. Experience has highlighted the value of taking small steps forward and having an open door for feedback. Bringing people with you rather than sprinting ahead when the light bulb moment flashes, often creates the space for the changes that you want to bed in a little more so that you can then move forward quickly as one team. This led us to the subject of re-energising people. People need space to breathe. Once you've paused and given your team the space to understand that it is their drive and ambition that has helped you sharpen up your aspirations for the future of the business, be excited about exploring together what they feel your shared ambition could be. This is so important because it re-energises people. It gives them an appetite to link their sense of ambition to your ambitions for the business and keep on the lookout for growth opportunities post-COVID. Once you are listening hard and seen to be engaged, it is so much easier to reassure those who are fearful of change. At the same time, you can gently remind them that you are not slowing down the pace of change in any way that compromises your growth and development as a business. A chance now to get practical again around this, sprinters becoming marathon runners. Think of the most anxious person that you have that you want to keep on track. It should help a lot to keep them in mind as you establish your communication strategy. Share where you want the organisation to get to and then break down a possible route into small steps. Invite proposals from across your organisation for taking each step rather differently on the basis that you're up for change so long as no one asks you to stand still or go backwards. Consult about your ideas while they're still half-baked so that you can give your teams a real opportunity to co-create your plans with you before you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's. Style four, leaders of managers becoming leaders of self-managers. Many successful leaders have persuaded themselves that one of the key factors behind their success lies in having strong middle managers to ensure that the organisation runs well. Middle managers often see their role as essentially that of running a tight ship. Their jobs are about ensuring that junior staff don't make mistakes they would be bound to make if they weren't constantly checking their work. It is so easy to take it for granted that this would happen if managers were not there to save staff from their own variable levels of competence. In those cases where output actually improved as a result of homeworking during the lockdown, some managers at first found it rather embarrassing something of a blip that couldn't be expected to continue. In cases where performance continued to improve, the challenge for leaders became pretty irresistible. They had to accept that many of their people are actually a lot better than they had led themselves to believe. Now is the time to engage more directly with them 
and understand what they need for you to keep up with them. During the lockdown, large numbers of employees have shown that when they are given more freedom to organise their workload and monitor their own performance in relation to set targets and deadlines, they are really rather good at managing themselves and don't need to be managed in their traditional way. Moreover, many have positively enjoyed owning their own diaries and organising their work in a way that fits in with the rest of their lives too. Hierarchies have become less important as many organisations have seemed to become that bit flatter. Over the last few months, we've all looked at screens with pictures of staff in various rooms in their homes, with no title by their name, and with the chief executive not guaranteed a place at the top of the screen, and sometimes ending up at the bottom, some of us have had a sense of COVID-19 acting as a great leveller. It is therefore no surprise that some leaders have begun to ask themselves whether self-management is an idea whose time has now finally come. Do they really need the different layers of hierarchy in their organisation, which depended to a large degree on the now questionable claim that those staff beneath each level would be bound to underperform without constant interventions on the part of those above them? Where staff are shown to be responding so much better to managers checking in with them rather than checking on them, does this mean that self-management has a lot more going for it across organisations than many let themselves believe? Instead of seeing themselves leading managers who run the organisation on their behalf, should they now see themselves as leading the wider staff team that largely self-manages at every level? Instead of talking about distributed leadership as a theory, should they now engage with it as a reality that could soon be theirs? Our last chance now to get practical around this section of leaders of managers becoming leaders of self-managers. Affirm the high levels of self-resilience and self-management that people have demonstrated throughout the lockdown. Don't revert to old habits of justifying management by others when many of your people have just proven to you and to themselves that to a large degree they are already more than good enough to manage themselves. Regard yourself as leading a campaign to ensure that everyone in your organisation values their own time more highly than they've done in the past. For example, how about sending a message round to all staff saying that if they receive an invitation to join a meeting online and don't think this offers the best use of their time, they should feel free to say no with your full support. Champion the idea of staff using digital working more for initial creative idea building so that even if most of your team become office workers again, they have every encouragement to draw together mixed digital teams in tightly controlled slots of time to generate fresh thinking. Take out unnecessary layers of management, wherever possible, between the top team and the front line. Then shift to measuring and rewarding outputs and watch your really good people go whoosh. Aim to hold as many meetings as possible where everyone is either working digitally or in the same physical space. Wherever you can, avoid mixing the two up. And if you do have to mix, try to make it a one-off rather than regular practice. How about banning the word manager and converting this title to team coach or something similar with an explicit brief to empower teams and encourage the virtues of self-reliance and increased resilience? If the language of the coach is a step too far for you, then at least the term team leader 
is less disempowering of team members than line manager. In general, staff are more likely to speak their truth to a coach or team leader than to their line manager. Consider introducing a new practice in which every week, everyone in the organisation becomes a buddy with someone they wouldn't ordinarily come into contact with, just for 20 or 30 minutes, to check in with each other and ask how things are going. This is especially important where most people would continue to be home workers over time. There are so many ways you can move towards a more empowering coaching culture with some pace and without becoming a sprinter again. For example, for individual performance assessments, how about proposing that each member of staff offers up their own assessment of their performance before their coach or manager offers theirs, identifying those aspects of their work where they would like to be doing better. This could be a powerful way of people demonstrating commitment to their self-improvement. Team self-assessments could naturally build on this and encourage honest discussion amongst teams about how they think they performed collectively during lockdown. For those teams who want to continue working from home, it's especially important to ask how much they've been able to support each other since the start of lockdown, as well as comparing their ambitions and targets from now on with their pre-lockdown performance. This team self-assessment could easily provide the foundation for team effectiveness reviews, with each team member presenting their conclusions to you or another member of your top team. If a team's performance has dipped during lockdown and they haven't acknowledged this, this provides the perfect time to speak your truth with them. You might want to say, I recognise that you want to continue to work mainly from home and I want to make that possible for you but you first need to come up with some proposals for how you can improve your performance. So let's get together in a few weeks time so you can share with me how you intend to become a more effective home worker.